Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. In today's episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark, we're proud to tell you about Zonly, an Amazon best-selling sleep products company dedicated to improving physical and mental well-being using natural solutions backed by science. Their anxiety-reducing weighted blankets are truly one of a kind, and you can check them out now. For more information and to see Zonley's assortment of products, just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Zonley. Zonley is spelled Z-O-N-L-I. As an Amazon associate, I earn from qualifying purchases. By visiting that URL before you make your purchase, a portion of the sale comes back to me and the team at Scary Stories Told in the Dark. And you'll be helping to support this program at no cost to you and letting the kind folks at Zonley know we sent you. I'll be back after our first story tonight to tell you a little bit more about our friends at Zonley, including how those of you in my listening audience can enter for a chance to win a 100% free weighted blanket of your own and a custom-produced story, plus access to exclusive subscriber-only narrations and inside updates just by signing up for my podcast mailing list. Until then, go ahead, make sure your doors are locked. Check to make sure your closet doors are shut like they ought to be. That way, you'll have some warning when they creak open later while you're sound asleep. <laughs> Stay tuned. 
The show's about to begin. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 3. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four stories for you about overseas atrocities, devilish deals, terrifying toys, and fearsome photos. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two terrifying tales. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscurrypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors... Turn your lights down low. Settle in. This show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of author Aramis J. Gagnon. In it, our protagonist visits their relatives in Haiti and discovers the hard way that not all of the locals are friendly or at all what they appear to be. Perhaps the local legends aren't so fictional after all. Without further ado, I present to you, If You Can't See It. Every summer for a week, my grandparents would visit my family in New Orleans from Haiti, making the nine-hour flight and 35-minute drive from the airport to Norco. I loved seeing my grandfather. He told the scariest stories, and my grandmother cooked the best food for everyone. My parents always seemed to be happier when they came down. You see, my parents fight a lot, but they stop when my grandparents come around. Sometimes I wonder if Mom and Dad even love each other by the way they fight. I don't think they do, but my brother says not to worry about it. The day we picked Grandma and Grandpa up from the airport, I noticed my grandfather looked more tired than the last time he came. My grandmother had a worried expression on her face. She said he was fine, but I knew she was lying, by the way. She looked down at her feet. Grandpa's tiredness had not ceased the next day, 
and he spent most of the trip in our guest room. It was upsetting to all of us to see him so unwell. The next night, my mother sat my brother and I down. Junior, Sam, you both are older now, and you know that everyone gets old. I was twelve at the time. Sam was fifteen. Yes, we responded. Mom's face saddened. Your grandfather is old, and he's not as healthy as he used to be. I didn't understand what she was trying to say. Your grandfather may not have much time left with us, so make sure you spend as much time as you can while he's here. We nodded our heads and promised. Sam and I spent every minute with him until Sunday came. I never understood why people tell children that they shouldn't worry about things that bother them, that kids have so much time that there isn't anything to worry about. They're liars because there's plenty to worry about at twelve. Time is an enemy, not a virtue. And one day all our time will be up. The clock never stops ticking. My grandfather was dying, and there was no way to save him. He was going to die, and there was nothing I could do. It made me realize that one day Mom and Dad were going to die, and my brother Sam even myself. That's going to be a sad day. Sadder than losing my TV privileges or my phone. Sadder than when our dog Sparky died. Thinking about that always made me cry. I wish people didn't have to die. I wish no one ever did. It was hard to see them go, knowing that everything might change next year. I hugged Grandpa goodbye, tears welling up in my eyes. We watched the planes leave the airport for a couple of minutes before driving back home. I prayed every night that I could see my grandfather again. Next year came and everything changed. I was 13, and Dad started to act weird. He tried to talk to me about how I was growing up and that I needed to be more of a man. I even started getting some acne on my face, which sucked. Sam got a girlfriend and wouldn't talk to anyone anymore. We weren't the only ones that changed, though. Mom and Dad changed, too. Mom called it a separation, but she said her and Dad still loved each other. Dad was sleeping in the living room, and Mom never left the bedroom. Sam always went to his friend's house, and I had my books to keep me company. I called Grandma frequently to see how Grandpa was. I couldn't wait to see them again. School ended, and summer had finally come. My father told Sam and I that we were going to get passports because this summer we were going to visit Grandma and Grandpa in Haiti. I was excited not only to see the country all my grandfather's stories were based on, but to fly in an airplane. I'd never gone on an airplane before, and the end of July couldn't come faster. When the week had finally arrived, we got to the airport for a 6 a.m. flight. We boarded our plane, and I took the window seat next to Sam and Mom. My father sat across from us in the row next to ours. As we took off, my heart beat in my chest. My stomach dropped the way it does when you go down a roller coaster. 
Everyone else seemed to be calm, but I was shaking. I wasn't necessarily scared. I guess I was happy, so happy that my body couldn't sit still. For the first time, we felt like a family. Perhaps it was the rush of leaving the ground and the adrenaline of being thousands of feet in the air. I opened the window shade and looked down into the blue ocean. I wondered for a second if that was what death was like. All of a sudden, you're flying. You're in the sky and nothing can touch you. Not the clouds, not the birds, not pain or sickness. Not anything in the world. Not even the time they tell you not to worry about it. When our plane landed, my grandmother waited to pick us up at the airport. Her worried expression last summer was nothing compared to the sorrow in her eyes. I couldn't look into those brown eyes because I knew what those eyes meant. The sadness came back to me and my excitement for adventure went away. Grandpa had gotten worse. On our car ride to my grandparents' house, I tried to memorize everything I saw. I never wanted to forget. The streets were labeled weird. I lived on Belmont Avenue back in America, but the streets in Haiti were labeled by numbers. My brother took pictures, and my parents looked happy again, for now. My grandparents were from my father's side. They grew up in Haiti before coming to America, but they always vowed that they would move back before it all ended, which they did. People like to think that Haiti is ugly and extremely poor. Poor? Yes. Ugly? No. Every bit of land tells a story, my grandmother would say. There's so much history here, from the crystal blue oceans to the green forests, from the rich to the poor, everything had meaning. Everyone had a purpose. Grandpa had more energy the next day, so we took advantage of it and went for a walk through the local markets. My father stopped at a vendor to look at some paintings. In the corner of my eye, I saw a hand waving at me. I looked over and noticed an old woman selling some fruit, mangoes to be exact, she wore all black and a headscarf that had a red line down the middle. The mango woman smiled at me. There was something alluring about her. I don't know why, and for reasons unknown to me, I walked over to her. Something inside me wanted to know more. Like a fly chasing light, I approached her. My family was too busy looking at the paintings to notice I had walked just a couple feet away. In a raspy voice, she asked, Would you like a mango, little man? I looked down at the fruit. Some of them had black dots all over the skin. They look good, but I have no money. I'm sorry. I responded. Her smile faded. Who said anything about money? She laughed. These mangoes are free. Take one. I hesitated. The hair on my body stood up, and I no longer wanted to know or be around this woman. I had no idea why I walked over in the first place. Something felt off and no longer alluring. It felt bad, dirty even. Like the feeling you get when you walk into a dark room and you can't find the light. 
For a moment, the darkness engulfs you, and you're scrambling. You don't know why, because you're not afraid, but maybe you are, and it feels bad. It feels dirty. No thanks. I turned to walk away, but she grabbed my arm. Hey! I screamed at her. She placed the mango in my hand. Take it. It's a gift from the land. You do not waste gifts from what the land has given you. Her face was impatient and angry now. I was scared. I ran back to my family, shaking. My mother shook my shoulders. Where did you go? I pointed across the street. She glanced past my shoulder at the mango woman and asked again, Junior, what's wrong with you? My grandfather came to us. What happened? he asked. My mother crossed her arms. Junior walked off like we told him not to do. I went to see the woman selling the mangoes. I held up my piece of fruit. My grandfather looked at the woman across the street. She smiled at him. He took one look at the mango, grabbed it out of my hand, and threw it on the ground. What was wrong with it? I asked. Why did you touch it? He yelled. The mango woman looked at my grandfather angrily. My grandfather, as weak as he was, rushed my family along. My grandmother held my hand and we quickly left the area. Besides the weird mango incident, the rest of the people we saw were earnest and humble. The continuous poverty was hard to see, but it made me grateful for what we had back home. I ate everything on my plate that night. I asked Grandma why we were rich and why some were poor. Grandma said that poverty was created so that certain people could rise above the rest, that people were kept poor to keep social structures in place. We were lucky that we were born into families uh, that we were born into and lived where we lived. Grandma got upset and said that there was enough food in the world to feed every starving child. All the countries play games with each other to be more powerful, but forget about the people suffering on the bottom. Grandma made me take a salt bath and muttered Haitian words under her breath as she poured water over my head. I didn't sleep well that night. The next day, Grandpa stayed in bed. He told Sam and I stories about Haiti, like the food, his parents, how he met Grandma, and the strange things he would see at night. What strange things? I asked him. His eyes lit up. Ghosts. Sam laughed. Ghosts aren't real, Grandpa. His face went stern. Who told you that? Sam looked down at his feet, embarrassed from being scolded. Mom and Dad. Grandpa motioned us to come closer. He whispered, They're wrong. He turned and looked at me. Remember when I took that mango away from you? I nodded my head. The woman who gave it to you meant you harm. She was not a good person. They're called mumbles. Sam and I came closer to him. What's a mambo? I asked. Grandpa put his finger to his lips. Don't even say the name out loud. They are people who have made pacts with devils and lawas in return for powers and abilities. 
Are Loas evil? Asked Sam. Loa, Grandpa corrected. Some people think they are. Not everyone can see a Loa, though. He or she chooses to be seen when they want something or someone. He glanced at me. The woman didn't seem evil, I protested. She was nice. She just wanted to sell her mangoes. Grandpa shook his head. They weren't mangoes, child. Not really. They're cursed for the living, and if you consume one, you could attach yourself to the ghosts I told you about. The bad ones. Why would someone want to do that? I asked. Grandpa looked me in the eye. Because some people and some spirits don't want to be good to the living. Some spirits are hateful and want to hurt you. They want to take away all that is human in you. They want to take your soul. Was the mango woman a bad spirit, I asked? Yes. The next day Sam asked if we could take a walk around the neighborhood. Mom and Dad shook their heads, but Grandma calmed the worry. This area is safe. They could walk to the river and back. She winked at us. Mom didn't want us to go anywhere by ourselves, but we assured her that we would walk to the river and right back. It's a five-minute walk, Grandma told Mom. As we were putting on our shoes, Grandpa hobbled with his cane to us. Remember, do not go past the river. You go to the river and you come back, but do not go past it. What happens if you go past the river? I asked. His face looked solemn. Remember those ghosts? There are ghosts past that river. Things that you will see that aren't really there. Spirits that want to lure you. You cannot trust in anything in Haiti when you are around here. Not even in your eyes. But especially past the river. Dad laughed. Your grandfather's not making a good case for you. Grandpa didn't respond, and Grandma was no longer smiling. It's safe, as long as I don't go past the river. I remember every one of Grandpa's stories. He said that even the trees were haunted and could make you see things, do things, hear things. And if you want to hear your name in the dark, my God, if you cannot see it, do not answer it. My mother scolded him for his scary stories, but I don't think they were stories. In fact, I think he was scared while telling them. I think they were true. My brother and I took our time and walked to the river. The roads weren't as busy uh, a couple blocks over. We saw the water and went down to the shore. We skipped rocks on the surface and touched it with our feet to see how cold it was. Sam, I asked. What? he responded. Is this the last time we're going to see Grandpa? Sam went quiet. Maybe. Mom says he's not well. I went quiet, too. Why do people die? I asked. I don't know. We all have to. No one can live forever. I skipped a rock. 
Do you think the ghosts are real, like the Luas? Sam looked at me. Yeah, I guess so. If Grandpa says they are, then they are. I threw a large rock into the water, and it splashed all over us. I looked beyond the river. Just for a minute. Sam knew what I wanted to do because he was curious, too. We glanced past the river and saw a wooden path and an empty four-way intersection. It's just a road and some woods, Sam said. Weird, I replied back. Sam and I took a couple steps toward the road past the river. Don't go past the river. Grandpa's voice echoed in my head. Let's go back, Sam said. I swear, like nothing I've ever heard before, I swear I heard someone calling my name. Somewhere in those woods, in those trees, in the shadows of right before dusk. Sam grabbed my hand and we walked back home. I didn't tell anyone about the voice. We ate Grandma's Lambi Guisado and Grio before sitting down to play board games. There was a storm that night. As I lied in bed, I thought about everything I'd seen. I listened to the rain hit the window. I thought about the poor people that didn't live in homes that had to stay outside. I felt sad again. Then, like a dark little creature hiding in the back of my mind, I thought about the mango woman. Her face and her missing teeth. The way she made me come over the way I felt walking towards her. I tried to clear my mind when I felt a pain in my groin. I had to pee. I quietly got out of bed and tiptoed out of the room. I got to the bathroom and I pulled down my pants and relieved myself. I washed my hands and just as I was about to go back to my room, I heard a footstep outside the bathroom door. I wandered towards the door and then towards my bedroom. It was probably Sam who also needed to go to the bathroom. I opened the door. There was no one there. Sam? I called out. I heard footsteps coming from inside the bedroom. I walked towards my room. I peered inside and saw no one but my brother who was sleeping. I ran back to my bed and hid under the covers. I felt ashamed that I was still running from monsters. I was thirteen, for God's sake. I realized as I got myself comfortable that I forgot to close the bedroom door. I got back up and walked over to the doorknob. I tried to close it, but something pushed it back. Fear filled my body. I tried to close it again, but someone blocked it from the other side. I opened the door wider and looked out into the dark hallway. Still, no one was there. The floor creaked behind me. I turned, and for a second, I swear, in the corner of my eye, I saw the woman from the market, the one selling mangoes, standing over Sam's bed. She looked at me and smiled her toothless grin. As I fully looked, there was nothing there, just the rain hitting the window, the thunder that shook the house, and the lightning that lit up the sky. I left the door open and I ran back to my bed. I did not get up again. 
Saturday had finally come, and it was the last full day we would spend in Haiti. We took a boat onto the ocean and sailed through the clear waters. Sharks, dolphins, stingrays, and colorful fish swam under us. Trash and bottles also floated by the boat. I wanted to pick it up, but Dad said there was too much to truly make a difference. I was going to argue with him, but then I realized that Mom would take my side and they would start fighting again. I thought about what I had seen last night in my room and I shivered. Maybe it was all in my head. Maybe the wind made me think the floors were creaking. Maybe the door was broken and that's why it would not close. It closed fine this morning. Maybe I thought I saw her, but it was just a figure in the dark. Nothing at all, right? The group we went with fished and let us take whatever we wanted from their catch. Each of us took one fish home and had it for dinner. My father told Sam and I to pack our suitcases and be ready to leave the next day. I packed as fast as I could so I could hear more stories from Grandpa. Was this going to be the last time I would ever hear a story? The encounter from the night before left my mind. I cried in my pillow until I eventually drifted off. It was the tapping at the window that woke me. I opened my eyes and looked up. Nothing was there. I closed my eyes again. The tapping started again. Stop playing games, I yelled. I thought it was Sam. I looked over to his bed, but he wasn't there. I shot out of my bed and looked around. Sam, I shouted. I was about to check the bathroom when I heard a voice outside the window. I'm over here, Junior. It sounded like my brother. What are you doing outside, I asked. Come here, Sam commanded. No, Mom and Dad will get mad, I responded. No, they won't. Just come out. Sam laughed. Don't be a baby. I put on my shoes and I quietly opened the front door. I only saw the back of my brother, but I saw his clothes. He walked toward the river. Sam, I screamed. He kept walking. I thought about grabbing my parents. I knew it wasn't safe out here at night. As fast as I ran after him, he somehow was always a few feet ahead. We went to the river, but he kept on going, and I too found myself walking past it. Don't go past the river. There are ghosts past that river. My heart ached in my chest. Every hair in my body stood up. I remembered that whisper that called my name. The woman I saw in my room. It was night, and at night, something as simple as a road was terrifying. I teared up, afraid to follow my brother any longer. I felt unsafe. I felt bad again. I felt dirty. Please come back, or I'm going home and telling Mom, I yelled at him. He was going towards a store that was set up on the right side of the road. I saw other people this time, coming in and out of the shop and walking in different directions at the intersection, disappearing into the night. Who were these people? Where were these people going? Then it dawned to me. That shop wasn't there earlier. It wasn't there at all. Sam! I screamed again, my voice losing control. I was scared that I might be heard by someone else, like a ghost. I walked towards the mysterious shop, past the river, 
right to the door where he went inside. A small light shined in the dark. As I was about to step in, I heard my grandfather's words one last time. If you can't see it, don't answer it. I realized that I never really saw Sam's face. I never saw him at all. I would have heard him if he left the room. He could have gone to the bathroom for all I knew. That was impossible for this shop to be where it was. I must be dreaming, I thought to myself. The wind blew at my skin, letting me know that I was fully awake, and this was no dream. I was in danger, and so was my brother. Junior, come inside. It's so cool in here. you got to see it. Just come inside. Trust nothing around here, not even your eyes. I step away, my breath non-existent. I couldn't breathe. I just knew that whoever was in there, whatever that thing was, was not my brother. I ran back to the house as fast as I could. I didn't look back. When I got into the house, I immediately ran to my room. Sam still wasn't there. I woke up Dad and Mom and my grandparents. Grandma called the police and Dad took a flashlight, a bat, and went outside. Something ached inside my stomach, and I ran back to the river, past the trees, back to the four-way road. I was ten feet away when I saw him myself. Someone that looked exactly like me, standing in the doorway of that creepy old shop. Come inside, Sam. It's so much fun in here. It said to my brother. Sam, the real Sam, walked toward the shop door. Sam, don't go in there! Sam! I screamed. I ran as fast as I could, but it would never be fast enough. By the time he turned around to face me, two arms grabbed his body and dragged him inside. His screams were cut short. No! Mom! Dad! Help! Somebody! I yelled. I banged on the shop door, but it was locked. All the people who were going in and out before were long gone. I ran back to my father and told him what happened. The other neighbors joined him and came back to where I said Sam was taken. All of them watched their step as they came across the intersection. Someone took him into that store, I yelled. I pointed towards where it was, but when I looked again, there was nothing there but trees. The store was gone. It was just gone. My father looked into my eyes. Where did your brother go? There was a store. It was right there, I cried. Sam, my dad yelled. Sam, my mother cried. I didn't understand what had happened. He followed someone who looked like me into that dark, cold place, probably trying to tell me to come back home, trying to save me and keep me safe trying to be the best big brother that there was. We never found Sam. I never saw my brother again. The next summer was filled with grief as Grandpa had finally died from his health complications. The family was torn apart over Sam's disappearance. The U.S. got involved and labeled it as a possible trafficking case, but my grandmother did not think so. None of the neighbors in Haiti did either. Someone or something had taken my brother. Mom and Dad didn't blame me as I was the youngest, but I blame myself. Maybe, if 
If I had run faster or screamed louder, maybe if I had warned him, maybe I really did see Mambo in my room. He died, probably, trying to follow someone that wasn't there, trying to follow me. We had a funeral in the States, but burned what would have been Sam in Haiti next to Grandpa. Grandma moved in with us, and things were different. Things were dark, and storms did not pass in this weather. When I'm home alone, I call his name, hoping to hear my brother calling back. Silence is only ever the answer. People tell me not to worry because I have so much time, that there isn't anything to worry about at fourteen. They're liars, because there's plenty to worry about. The dark is an enemy, not a coincidence. One day there will be no light. The sun never stops setting. My grandfather died. My brother was stolen. I couldn't save them. Mom and Dad will one day die, and I will be alone. Never stop being a sad day. I wish the night never came. I wish it never did. I'm thirty now with a family of my own. Sometimes in the quiet minutes during the day, when I'm not thinking about it, I remember. I remember when I can't sleep. I remember in the moment just before I turn on the light in a dark hallway in my house. I remember that night in Haiti, and I remember that voice, that figure, the woman selling the mangoes, the creepy old store that wasn't really there, and the hands that took my brother, the hands that stole him away. How was it possible to see people in places that weren't really there? Sam's death will haunt me until the dark comes for me, too, because sometimes I wonder what would have happened if I had gone inside instead of him. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed If You Can't See It by author Aramis J. Gagnon, as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got another terrifying tale. This one from author Thomas O. Wagner about a man that goes to diabolical lengths to save those he loves and the price he'll have to pay one way or the other. 
Before we proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about Zonley, the Amazon best-selling manufacturer of high-quality weighted sensory blankets, dedicated to working with everyone from you and me to healthcare professionals, nonprofits, and schools to provide relief and relaxation to thousands of people. And this week, I'm giving away a Zonley weighted blanket absolutely free. To enter for your chance to win, all you have to do is sign up for my scary stories told in the dark mailing list by Sunday, February 2nd, 2020. To subscribe today, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Otis. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash O-T-I-S. You'll find yourself on the sign-up page. From there, just enter your first and last name and your email address, and you'll be entered automatically for your chance to win a Zonley weighted blanket 100% free. And if you win, we'll throw in something else. Awesome. A custom story. That's right. If you win the drawing, not only will you get an awesome Zonley therapeutic blanket, but you'll get a chance to work with our team of writers one-on-one to have a custom story penned in your honor about whatever you like to be narrated by me on a future episode. And if that's not good enough, you'll get access to the latest news and info regarding the show, as well as access to subscriber-only promotional offers and exclusive story narrations not available to the general public. To get all that and more, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash O-T-I-S and join today. Thanks so much for signing up and for your support. It means a lot to me. Now, if you weren't convinced already that you wanted one, allow me to tell you what makes Zonley's weighted blankets some of Amazon's best-selling anxiety-reducing items and why they're perfect for you and those you care most about. First, Zonley produces weighted blankets for both adults and children, so everyone in your family is covered. They've even got duvets to go with them, if you'd like to get the whole package from them. What makes Zonley special? Their weighted blankets are made of natural and environmentally friendly materials, both glass beads and fabric, and the hypoallergenic non-toxic odorless beads are evenly sewn into ultra-small squares to make the blankets more comfortable. If you have trouble sleeping or problems with stress and anxiety, the Zonley Blanket is here to help you. Their products are made of the highest quality materials, painstakingly selected to withstand the test of time. Zonley believes in the quality of their unique, one-of-a-kind products so much, in fact, that they offer a guarantee on all of them. The company prides themselves on ensuring that nothing leaves their factories until they've been checked thoroughly and are guaranteed to be free of defects. Unfortunately, the market for weighted blankets is flooded these days with overseas-produced low-quality products, so at one time it was tough to tell who you could trust. But with Zonley, each and every blanket is produced and inspected with love right here in the United States. So you can rest easy knowing you're getting high-quality sleep products 
from folks who care and who are treated well and compensated fairly. With Zonley's seven layers of design, you can be totally confident you're getting unbeatable quality at an unbeatable price. Their blankets, breathable materials, are perfect for helping control your body temperature while you and your loved ones sleep. While their weighted inserts with eight loops ensures the blanket stays put during the night. An extra two layers of cotton prevent the blanket from tearing or leaking, and the non-glue padding surrounds the product's environmentally friendly hypoallergenic glass beads for maximum comfort. And with their new sewing technology, Zonley's blankets have gotten even better recently, with smaller squares that help distribute weight more evenly for an even better night's rest. For hot sleepers... Zonley even offers a cooling bamboo version of their amazing blanket. And all of them come in a variety of sizes, colors, and patterns. So, no matter your style, there's one you're bound to love. As if all of this wasn't enough, Zonley provides three-month return and replacement service and lifetime free customer service. If you ever have any questions or need additional help, all you need to do is contact them, and they'll solve the problem for you as soon as possible. For more information about Zonley's famous weighted blankets and high-quality duvet covers, please visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Zonley. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash Z-O-N-L-I. You'll be redirected to Amazon.com where you can pick up your own blanket today from their wonderful assortment and get started with a better night's rest today. While you're there, check out the hundreds of five-star reviews from ordinary folks like you and me and see how much of a difference Zonley blankets have made in their lives. Just so you're aware, as an Amazon associate, I earn from qualifying purchases by visiting the URL I've just provided before you make your purchase, a portion of your future sale comes back to me and the team at Scary Stories Told in the Dark, no cost to you, and helps support this very program. And it lets the folks at Zonley know that Otis Jiry sent you. Whether you end up purchasing a Zonley weighted blanket or end up buying any of the millions of other items available for sale on Amazon, a portion of your purchase is shared with us, and it won't cost you a penny. All you've got to do is visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Z-O-N-L-I and shop as usual. Thanks so much for your time and for checking out Zonley this week. Your support means a lot to us. Now that we've made it easier to help you get a better night's rest, courtesy of our friends at Zonley, allow me to give you something to toss and turn about while you're still waiting for your blanket to arrive. Without further ado, from author Thomas O. Wagner, I present to you Three Truths. The two men, perched on a steep hillside, watched from a safe distance as an invading army destroyed the city below them. 
The towering stone wall that protected the city, once strong and unbreakable, couldn't hold back the onslaught. Even over the sounds of war, the watchers could hear the yells of the invading commanders directing their soldiers. No man, woman, child, or beast was to be left alive. The instructions were carried out with swords and spears, and the slaughter was completed in the space of a day. The two watchers, Denel and Carey, understood the implications of what they'd witnessed. The destroyed city was not the one from which they hailed. No, their city was the next closest, about a two-day's march away. Nearly a year earlier, along with several other soldiers, the two men had left their city on a mission to escort an ambassador to a faraway land. The mission had soured, and the ambassador was now dead. On the return journey, the other soldiers had become victims of either the desert heat or nomadic attackers. Danelle and Carey were the last survivors of the mission and were on their way home to report the failure of the undertaking. The two men had nearly stumbled unexpectedly and accidentally into the army of the invaders. It was an army from a land they weren't familiar with, Luckily for them, they remained undiscovered, but a return to their own city was beginning to look impossible. Half of the invading army had already marched off, even while the other half continued with the slaughter. Donnell and Carey watched as the foreign soldiers headed toward their city, and they could hear the commanders talking their men up for yet another siege. They considered trying to get out ahead of the traveling invaders, so that they could maybe, just maybe, reach their city first to give warning. But the quickest route was through a small canyon, which was the same route the invaders were taking. They knew it would be impossible to follow that course and not be spotted. They chose a longer route and hoped that the extra distance would be negated by the fact that two lonely men could travel faster than an invading army. Upon their arrival, they found that they were too late. Their city was already surrounded by the first half of the invasion force. Soon, the rest of them would arrive, and the attack would begin. Donnell and Carey didn't have to discuss it. They both knew their city's fate would be the same as its neighbor. The invaders wanted this land for themselves, and their army was mightier than any they'd seen before. It seemed as if it was guided by an unstoppable force. The walls of their city would fall even faster than those of the city that came before. The two men found a well-hidden position on a hillside, grimly observing the preparations unfolding down below them. It's hopeless. We can do nothing for them, Carey lamented. Donnell subconsciously rubbed the stone amulet that hung around his neck. It was a movement he made whenever he was deep in thought. Finally, he responded, I won't leave her there. I just can't leave her to die with the rest of them. Donnell looked down upon the doomed city, the city of his birth. He'd served it faithfully. 
At a young age, he'd been ripped from his mother and given to its army. He trained to be a soldier, and he belonged to the city itself. Emotions were beaten out of him. All of his life he followed pointless orders. He fought in battles, and then he followed even more pointless orders, never questioning his superiors or their motives. As he surveyed the scene, he wasn't surprised that, save for one, he felt no concern or pity for the inhabitants he served. He had done all he could for them. Now, at the start of their unavoidable demise, there was no sadness for the city itself, just a stoic acceptance. Donatia, his wife, was the only person for whom Donnell spared concern. His battlefield heroics had allowed him the privilege of marrying her. Most of the soldiers weren't given that luxury. She was the only woman he had ever loved, and she was the only person who had loved him. His marriage and his friendship with Corey were the only two important relationships he'd ever formed. Corey spoke and broke Donnell's concentration. There's a way in, you know. Donnell averted his gaze from the city and looked at Corey. He was listening. Corey continued. The tunnel. I told you about it before, remember? Donnell remembered. The ancient and forgotten tunnel ran from a hidden room underneath one of the city's temples and exited outside the walls at the base of a hill. Corey and his long-ago friends had explored the narrow space in their youth. Of that group, Corey was the only one still living. As for the tunnel, its outside entrance was hidden by a boulder, but two strong men could budge it just enough to crawl inside. Corey was unsure if anyone else even knew of its existence. Corey's voice intensified. We'll sneak in tonight. The entire army isn't here yet, so we should be able to make it past their lines. He pointed to a spot toward the southern end of the city, outside its walls. Look, there. What luck for us. They don't have many soldiers in that area. That's where the tunnel entrance is. A small group could easily sneak in and out. Both men studied the area, and Corey gave a wide smile and put his hand reassuringly on Donnell's shoulder. My friend, tonight we shall save your wife, together. Donnell rubbed his amulet and responded, Let's get some rest. We have much to accomplish tonight. He was grateful that he had Corey with him, but he wondered how workable the plan really was. At dusk, the two men laid themselves in the dirt trying to get their first sleep in three days. Their plan was straightforward. They would wake up after the half-moon slipped below the horizon and sneak their way to the mouth of the cave. They would quietly move the boulder aside and slip into the city. Once they were inside, nobody would bother them. They would retrieve Donatia and slip back out. Donnell's sleep was fitful, and he dreamed of both Donatia and a strange figure who stood behind her while she danced. The figure was merely a silhouette of a large man, with no features distinguishable upon its face. Donatia danced around the figure, 
and Danelle could tell the figure was watching her, even though he couldn't see its eyes. Finally, the dark figure spoke to him. I can help you save her. His voice made a hissing sound. Donatia continued to dance seductively, and the figure repeated itself. I can help you save her, but you must wake up now. Danelle opened his eyes. It was night. The starry sky and half-moon provided the only light. As he sat up, he saw the outline, the being he had just dreamt of, standing right next to him. He made a grab for his sword. No! The creature hissed. Danelle felt an unseen force push his arm back down, away from his sword. You called me here, and now you will listen to me. Danelle felt for the amulet laying against his chest. Who are you? I am the one that you called upon. The entity remained featureless, even under the moonlight. A black arm extended from the darkness that enveloped the being, and it brushed a finger against the amulet hanging from Danelle's neck. Danelle looked down at his amulet. You are Baal? Yes, came the hissing response. I didn't call you here. I have no need for you, Baal. Danelle was more nervous than his bold statement made him appear. Oh, but you did call me here. Every time you rub that object around your neck, you call out my name. And yes, you do need me. Danelle's hand released the amulet. He found the simple stone carving in the dirt several years earlier. At the time, he recognized that it was a depiction of Baal, one of the deities worshipped by his people. He began wearing it, not out of reverence, not out of fear, but simply because it was something to wear, something that would distinguish him from the other nameless soldiers with whom he shared ranks. The truth was... He'd always had very little use for the deities of his people. He didn't find it necessary to pray to them, and didn't feel the need to honor them. Before that night, he wasn't even sure they were real. Yet, there he found himself, standing next to a creature that could only be a deity. The visitor continued, This plan of yours to sneak into the city through a tunnel... This plan is foolish. The scorn in his voice was evident. It will not succeed, and you will die. Carey will die. Donatia will die. Donnell started to feel fear, which was an extremely rare emotion for him. The concept of deities had never made him afraid before, but right then, having one stand directly before him, it was a completely new and frightening experience. The stories about Baal were never pleasant. He didn't rule with benevolence, but used intimidation and fear to force people towards his will. He reveled in trickery and deceit. He bathed in blood and fed on sadness. Baal's voice took a friendlier turn. But... You don't all have to die. 
I can get you into the city and out again. However, it will require a sacrifice on your part. With that last statement, he turned and looked at Carey, who was in a deep sleep. A look of realization slowly formed on Danelle's face. You want me to kill my friend? I want his heart. The hissing voice had returned. You will look him in the eye. Then you will cut him and rip it out of his chest. Then you will give it to me. In return, I will grant you the power to go into the city and safely retrieve one person of your choosing. Slowly, Danelle shook his head back and forth. I won't do it. He's my friend. My only friend. Do you really think that you'll be able to sneak past that army? You will all die. But if you walk the path I set out for you, then only he dies. Danelle agonized over the choice. The more he thought about Carey's plan, and the more he became to believe that it was a fool's end that could only end in tragedy. The dark figure stood patiently by while Danell debated himself in torment. Finally, his pragmatic nature and his training as a soldier led him to make a difficult decision. I'll sacrifice my friend to you, and I'll give you his heart, but first, you must grant me three truths before I commit. Donnell couldn't bring himself to look at the entity as he spoke. Three truths. Of course. You would be a fool not to ask me of that. It seemed as if the figure might have smiled as he said those words. Donnell had been well-versed in the legends and superstitions of his people, even though he never put too much faith in them. The tradition of the three truths stated that a person, when dealing with a deity, could request that three questions be answered truthfully. If the deity agreed to answer the questions, it would be unable to lie. The questions could only be asked in a yes or no format, though the deity could provide additional information if it chose to. The priests of Denel's city swore this to be true, and the men, formerly of little faith, was about to put their teachings to the test. Donnell took a moment to compose his thoughts. He knew there was a good chance Baal was involved in some sort of trickery, and it was possible that nothing he said up to that point was true. He had to ask smart questions. A sudden panicked feeling fell upon him, as he thought to himself that Donatia might have passed away in his absence. My first question is, is Donatia still alive? Ball nodded his head. Yes, she is alive. She is healthy. She's in your home, yearning for you. Donnell was relieved at the answer and pleasantly surprised at the extra information Ball had provided. My second question. Were you honest when you said that you'll provide me 
with the ability to enter the city and safely leave with Donatia. Again, Ball nodded. Yes, so long as you give me your friend's heart, you can leave with Donatia, or perhaps your father, or maybe your brother. You can pick anyone in the city. Donnell wanted to smile but held back. He thought to himself, Now I understand his trickery. He thinks I care for my father and brother. He thinks I'm going to have a difficult time choosing who to take. Ball didn't appear to know that Donnell hated both his father and his brother. His father was the one who ripped him away from his mother and sold him into the army. He barely knew his brother, but he did know that he was an awful man who wasn't worthy of saving. The choice would be easy, very easy. But he didn't want an emotional expression to betray him to Ball. He forced a look of turmoil upon his face to hide his true feelings. Feeling more confident in the path Ball had laid out for him, his concern turned back to Carey. He knew that people sacrificed to Ball were often killed in the most excruciating ways possible. My third question. You told me that you wanted Carey's heart cut out. That could be long and painful for him. Will you allow him a quick death? That is more a request than a question. But yes, I will allow you to give him a quick death. You may choose any means of execution, so long as you don't damage the heart. Donnell hung his head in relief. Ball hissed again. Now stop wasting my time. You have your three truths. Go get me his heart. Donnell turned and faced the spot where Carey had been sleeping, only to find him sitting up awake. How long have you been awake? he demanded. Carey didn't answer the question, but instead made his own inquiry. What was that thing you were talking to? Donnell looked to where Ball had been only a moment earlier, but the deity was gone. He turned back and tried to look at Carey, but ended up averting his eyes. I... I made a deal with him. I've seen that thing before. That was Ball, wasn't it? This is serious, my friend. You shouldn't make deals with him. Yes, Carey, it was Ball. He granted me three truths. I can save Donatia. I know that for sure. But we can do that together, Daniel. We don't need him. No. He told me our plan would fail. He told me we would all die. Carey shook his head. That's wrong. It's a good plan. I know we can make it work. I must ask, when he told you our plan wouldn't work, was that one of the three truths? Donnell felt as if he'd been punched in the gut. He didn't answer. Donnell, listen to me. I've lived longer than you, and I've traveled further. I've learned much, and I know that Baal is no deity. He's one of the fallen. The pathway of Baal is the pathway to sorrow. He has no loyalty, 
not even to those who serve him. Donnell didn't want to argue with Corey anymore. He saw no point. He knew the truth. He could save Donatia, and that was all that mattered anymore. He wants your heart. I'm sorry. A look of rage filled Corey's face. He wants my heart. Here, take it if you think that's what you really need. He stood up, pulled his sword out, then threw it to the ground. Go ahead now. Do what you need to. Donnell drew his sword and shut down his emotions, as he'd been trained to do. Corey continued with his rage, hitting his fist against his chest. Take it! I won't stop you. Just rip it out. Donnell's sword lashed out right as Corey finished his final sentence. The very last expression on his face was a look of surprise, as if he hadn't really expected Donnell to strike him. Corey's head flew off of his body and landed in a ditch several feet away. For a moment, Donnell fell to his knees in sorrow. The pain of his actions nearly overwhelmed him, but he thought back to the lessons of his youth. For one last time, he pushed his personal feelings aside so that he could complete his mission. The emotions weren't suppressed easily, but nonetheless, Donnell regained his focus. Drawing his knife, he sliced into Corey's belly and up into his ribcage. After several minutes of cutting and tugging, he finally retrieved the heart of his friend. The hissing voice sounded out behind him. Make a fire and blacken the heart. I will tell you when it's done. I will give my location away if I make a fire, Donnell protested. Don't worry about that. I will make sure they don't see you. Donnell made a fire as instructed and placed the heart upon it. Behind him, Ball chanted in an unknown language. The heart burned on the fire until well after the moon went down. The night became even darker. You may take the heart off the fire now, Ball instructed. Donnell used some sticks and placed the heart upon a large rock. Ball nodded his approval. Use your knife and make a slit in the heart. Once the slit was made, bright red blood gushed from within and dripped down onto the rock. Now, smear some of the blood on your forehead. You will be able to walk into the city undetected. The blood will remain wet. When you select the person you want to bring back with you, smear some of the blood from your forehead onto her forehead. You will both be able to leave safely. Remember, you can only choose one. Do not attempt to bring more than one person with you. Or I promise a punishment worse than death for both you and them. The invaders will attack at midday. You must leave the city before then. Now go and leave the heart here for me. After smearing a generous amount of blood on his forehead, Donnell walked from the hill toward the city. To take his mind off the death of Corey, 
He imagined what his future life would be like with Donatia. He knew of several cities that would take them in. It was one of the advantages of being well-traveled. He imagined them both living in a small house far, far from the invaders. She would give him a son, and his son would grow up with the love and privilege that he himself had never received. They would have many children, and he would no longer be pressed into the service of the army. As he approached the first set of night watch soldiers, he paused and took a deep breath. Their torches burned brightly in the darkness, but they didn't seem to notice him walking. As he closed in, they stopped moving entirely, as if they were frozen in place. Walking past them, he turned around and continued to eye them. As the distance between Donnell and the soldiers increased, the soldiers slowly started moving again, oblivious to the fact that an enemy soldier had just walked by them. Relieved, his mind began to wander again. He hadn't seen his wife in nearly a year. He wondered if she would look different. He thought about how happy she would be to see him, and he smiled at the thought. He finally reached the main gate of the city. The guards on duty looked down on him from high on the wall, but they had vacant stares on their faces. They opened the gate for him without saying a word. Even though the gate was completely open, none of the invaders seemed to notice. Donnell walked into the city and the gate closed behind him. His heart beat faster. He broke into a run, trying to get to his small wooden hovel as fast as possible. The people of the city looked worried. They were crying and arguing. Soldiers were busy fortifying their positions along the wall. Nobody gave any attention to Donnell as he ran through the alleys. Out of breath, he burst through the door of his house. Donatia was awake in bed when he entered. A single lantern illuminated the room. Donnell! She screamed out his name in joy as he ran toward her. She looked exactly as he remembered her. They embraced and kissed. He held her close for several moments. He couldn't begin to explain to her how he managed to get there, and she didn't ask. She just accepted his presence happily. Donnell looked into her eyes. I came back here to save you. We must leave now. That makes me so happy, she said. But wait, there's something wonderful I must show you. She moved over to the bed and picked up a small bundle of blankets that he hadn't noticed earlier. She approached him with a smile as he heard a small cry emanate from within the bundle. Inside he saw a baby, perhaps three months old. Meet your son. Donatia beamed. Donnell looked at the baby and his heart filled with love and pride. The small child, conceived in the days before he left, and birthed in his absence, had the same color eyes as him. Donatia handed the bundle to him, and he held his first and only son closely. However, his smile faded, and his pride quickly turned into horror as he realized the true extent of Baal's evilness. Looking at Donatia and the baby, 
He remembered what Ball had told him. Remember, you can only choose one. He knew the choice would be impossible. I hope you enjoyed Three Truths by author Thomas O. Wagner, as performed by yours truly. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the page. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Finally, thanks again to Zombie for giving us the chance to share their products with you today. Don't forget, as an Amazon associate, I earn from qualifying purchases, and you can help support me and this show at no extra cost by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash zonley. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash z-o-n-l-i. You'll be redirected to amazon.com where you can pick up your own weighted blanket today or any of the other items on your shopping list. And a portion of your purchase, whatever it might include, comes back to me and our team to help support this program. And it lets the folks at Zonley know that Otis Jiry sent you, and your support means a lot to both of us. Lastly, just a reminder that you can enter to win a Zonley weighted blanket of your own absolutely free. Not only that, but the winner of our drawing will get a custom-produced story plus access to exclusive subscriber-only narrations and inside updates just by signing up for my podcast mailing list. To enter, sign up by Sunday, February 2nd, 2020 at com slash Otis. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash O-T-I-S. You'll be entered automatically for your chance to win this week's item 100% free, plus all the other cool bonus features I've mentioned today. Thanks again so much for your support. 
Until next week, stay spooky. Get some sleep, if you can. (laughs) Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience 
and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.